Our reading this morning is from Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 to 17. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. When he opens, when he opens, what he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to, to endure patiently, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Richard. Good morning, everybody. For any visitors here, my name's Jonathan G. I'm the vicar here. You are extremely welcome. Uh, you've come to us on our Vision Sunday when we think about... Uh, trying to see more clearly what God is calling us to do as a church and us individually. And then it's followed next week by our Commitment Sunday annual opportunity to refresh our commitment to Jesus as our Lord and lay everything at his feet. So let's pray that he will come and help us see what he wants us to see and hear what he wants us to hear. Lord Jesus, send your spirit upon us now as we look at this letter from years ago, as we listen to you speaking to us today, open our eyes to see what you want to show us, what you're doing here. Open our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us today. And give us grace and courage to follow where you lead. And we ask it in your great name. Amen. Uh, I often draw attention to the great words from John 14:6, I am the way, the truth, and the life that are written over my head. Wonderful, wonderful words of Jesus. Uh, in the, on, my sort of, on my desk in a, in a back file, I have a list of things I'd like to preach on that are also written around the building. Uh, there's all sorts of texts of scripture and things that Jesus said hidden in different places. Uh, and the one I want to highlight this morning is written over the arches at the front of church 
there. Some of you will be able to see what's written there. We could zoom in on the picture a bit more. Some of you will be able to see it. Some of you won't be able to read it, so I'll tell you what it says. In Old English, it says, Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. And that is straight from verse 12 of our reading. Uh, our reading says, he that is victorious, the same word uh, it could be translated overcomes or is victorious. Will I make a pillar in the temple of my God? Uh, and those words were put there, presumably for an important reason, 145 years ago when the church was built. So what is going on there? There's a promise from the risen Jesus to those that overcome. That is as relevant to us today as it was 1925 years ago, whenever this letter was written. Uh, what do we have to overcome? What is this being a pillar? It's, there are wonderful promises. Uh, just to give you a clue where we're going, uh, this letter is about an open door that the church in Philadelphia had to serve God. There were things they had, there were challenges. They felt weak, there was opposition. But to those that overcame the weakness and the opposition who trusted in Jesus, he promises that they will be a pillar in his temple among his people. Now we'll think about what all that means and how it applies to us today. Just let me say a bit more first about Vision Sunday. We have a big picture vision in this church to see Lemington changed one life at a time. That was a vision that the Lord led us to about 15 years ago. We were praying, Lord, what have you got for us at St. Paul's? And we felt God say it's not about St. Paul's, it's about his kingdom in the town. So we prayed bigger. We realized we can't possibly do that on our own. And we got very involved with churches together. And all sorts of interchurch ministries have sprung up in those years. And we're thrilled about that. For these particular three years, from a couple of years ago to next year, we're really focusing on how can we help each other go better in our discipleship of Jesus, to follow him more closely as his disciples, his apprentices. Uh, that will never stop, but we've deliberately, we're not doing stuff with the buildings or anything else at the moment. We want to think, how can we structure things so we help each other grow in our discipleship? And I'll say more about that in a few minutes as well. And then next week, for those of you who are part of this church family, we have the annual opportunity to commit ourselves afresh to Jesus as Lord. We'll be looking at the letter to Laodicea, where Jesus says he hates it when people are lukewarm or half-hearted. Uh, and often we catch ourselves in that place. So it's a chance to recommit ourselves to him and to offer afresh to him our time, our work, our relationships, our finances uh, in his service. And over this next week, I want to encourage you to pray through, Lord, what are you calling me to do? What are you calling me not to do? Uh, if you're a regular giver in the church, how are things changed? Well, how might I need to change that for next year? If you've joined the church and haven't yet sorted that out, this would be a really good opportunity to do that. And we'll, I'll write to you in the week and we will have an opportunity to do that next week. Uh, so these two letters, the letter to the church in Philadelphia is one about an opportunity to serve, an open door for serving, and next week, the letter to Laodicea is about wholeheartedness. Let's just recap where we've been, because it's a few weeks since we were looking at these letters. We've had a break for half term and Remembrance Sunday, so let me refresh your memory. And for those of you who are new, Revelation is uh, the risen Lord Jesus appeared to the Apostle John in his old age to reveal his glory and to write to the church of his day. And the risen Lord Jesus uh, told John, who was in exile on the island of Patmos, that's the black dot there, 
to send this, the, the revelation, to the seven churches there. Uh, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. We've done five so far. They're in the order as the postman would deliver them, as we keep saying, though it is about 50 miles between each one, so it would be a very fit, healthy postman. Uh, and we've come to number six. The first five, the letter to Ephesus, a busy church, but God said, you're busy, but you're losing your love for me. And we heard the Lord call us back to our first love. Uh, the church in Smyrna, a suffering church, terrible opposition. Jesus was so proud of them. And we, we had open doors who work with our, the persecuted church around the world. But we all face different challenges and the call is to be faithful. The church to Pergamon was letting go of truth. There was a heresy they were tolerating, which was having a change in their behavior and Jesus wanted that sorted out. The church in Thyatira, it was an issue of holiness. We felt the risen Lord Jesus called his church to be holy, particularly in the area of sexual morality, but in every area. And so now uh, the letter to Philadelphia. You can see that we're getting a bit more inland, more, um, ancient Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. Turkey goes a long way to the east. Uh, at the time this was written, there was a Roman road running straight through Philadelphia there into the east, opening up the interior, if you like. Philadelphia itself was founded in the second century BC by the king of Pergamon, who in memory of his brother who had died called it Philadelphia, which means brotherly love. It was a sort of gift to his brother to have a, have a new city. But the idea was that it would be a gateway to further east to import Greek culture into what is modern day Turkey. Uh, so here we have a letter to Philadelphia, where the risen Lord Jesus says, I'm opening a door for you as a church, written to a town that was built as a gateway into the folks who lay further east. Uh, sadly, it was built on a bit of an earthquake fault line, and there was, it was devastated in AD 17 by an earthquake, and was rebuilt uh, with generous funding from Caesar Tiberius, and in his honour, they renamed the, the town or the city New Caesarea, uh, though 80 years or so later, the old name Philadelphia has come back. But there's something about a new name in this letter you may have heard as Richard was reading that's relevant here. So here we have the risen Lord Jesus writing at the end of the first century to this church, but really to all his church. And there's stuff for us to learn today. Uh, three particular images in this letter there's the pillar I've talked about, and we'll think about what that's about. There's the key that opens the door, and there is the open doorway itself. And we'll use those to sort of frame our sermon. Just so you're not too worried, I'm going to spend a lot longer on the open door first than the other two. So if you think, gosh, the first point's going on, when are we going to get to have our lunch? Don't worry, points two and three will be a bit quicker. So the open door, uh, verse eight of our reading. The risen Lord Jesus says, I know your deeds. I know what you're doing. I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know you have little strength. You've kept my word and haven't denied my name. The risen Lord Jesus says to the church in Philadelphia that was built as a doorway to the rest of Asia Minor at the time, I'm opening a door for you here in Philadelphia and presumably to the east uh, further on. 
Now, St. Paul uses this this phrase. We still use it. There's a door opened for me. Uh, A couple of relevant ones from from Paul's letters. 1 Corinthians 16, 8 and 9. Paul writes this. He was based in Ephesus, clearly. I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. So Paul was in Ephesus three years and it was probably in that time that people went to Philadelphia and the church was planted. And there's now an open door further on. Paul also tells us to pray for doors to be opened. So in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2 and 3, we are to devote ourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message. So God opens doors, but we're not to take that for granted. We're to pray both that the Lord will and that we discern those doors and go through them. Now, I don't know what the precise open door for service that the church in Philadelphia had, but I've been praying into the open door God has for us here at St. Paul's in Leamington in 2019. And while there are loads of things we do as a church and join together with others in the town, there's two particular aspects of our ministry that I think God's highlighting to us to really pray into and look out for how we can be involved. Now, that's not to say that all the others aren't important. All of them are. But these two, I think, are something the risen Lord wants us to pray into, whether we're involved or not, and look to be involved, uh, if that's right. Uh, The first area is the whole area of the next generation that is emerging, our children, our young people, and our students. God has blessed us in this church with a large number of children and young people and indeed students. If you just come to one service a Sunday, which is entirely what's normal, you won't see the huge number. At the earlier service, we have hordes of little people. Uh, They're up very early. By the time uh, the youngest is at school, the 9.30 service feels like a school day, so you're here at 11.15. Uh, And in the evening service, we have lots of students and young adults. It's hard to count precisely, but there are around 200 children and young people and about 50 students that are part of our worshipping community here. And that is a wonderful thing. What I hadn't clocked until this year was just what an unusual thing that is for churches in our day and age. Uh, we have to send in annual returns of numbers to the, for the Church of England, how many adults, how many children come. They're all added together and reports are made about whether the church is growing or shrinking. When the church is growing, uh, the newspapers tend to ignore it. When it's shrinking, they love to write church in decline stories. Uh, but the statistics are quite interesting. Roughly a third of Church of England churches have no under-16s at all. Roughly another third have fewer than five children under 16. So that's two-thirds of Anglican churches in our nation have fewer than five. Then roughly another third have between five and 25. So a sort of what you might call a normal number. Only, th- only 3% of the Anglican churches have more than 25 under 16s on a Sunday. We have on average 135 children and young people on a Sunday, which I am shocked to discover puts us in the top 30 number. Uh, Now, while I've been reflecting on this, God has given us an open door 
with our children and young people and students that we must not take for granted. But we have a huge responsibility, both for their sake individually, and everyone counts, and the Lord knows them all by name and loves them more than we do, but also for the future of this nation. Because if we and the other churches who have quite a few children and young people aren't doing this, then who is? It's great to see Andy Castle there with Thrive Ministries investing in youth ministry and children's ministry in the area. This really matters. And I just hadn't clocked quite how unusual, because I'm obviously here on a Sunday, not seeing everywhere else, just what God has given us. We mustn't take it for granted. It is a blessing from the Lord. And it is a huge door of opportunity. Just out of interest, how many of you would say you came to faith when you were a child as opposed to a teenager? Look around, quite a lot. How many would say as a teenager? How many would say as a student? How many would say as an adult post being a student? It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I praise God that people come to faith across all ages. That's great. But when we look around, it's the same at the earlier service. Perhaps a half as children and then a good number as teenagers, a fair few as students and adults. And that is not unusual. Uh, praise God there are people coming to faith of all ages uh, in this church. But we have such an opportunity. We have a wonderful team of folks who serve in our children's teams. I'd quite like to kill the word volunteer in the church. I'm all in favour of volunteering. But the danger is... We see it as it's kind of defined by the world, that we volunteer to help out on a rotor and we just do our bit. We are part of a church family and we are all called to serve Jesus in particular ways. The word serving is the same as the word ministry or worship. We serve. And we are all called to serve him because this is our church and we belong to him. So we don't sort of volunteer with the children or youth or the technology or the music or the old people. We serve. It's a higher calling. Um, now, I'm all in, sometimes we talk about volunteers as opposed to paid staff, but whether the staff are paid or whether we volunteer our time, we are all called to serve God in different ways. And I want to ask you, is he calling you to serve with our children or young people or students? Uh, we do a good job. Actually, as I see the quality of our teenagers, particularly the ones who've grown through our ministry, I think we're doing a really good job for our children's team, our youth, that there are folks coming to really mature faith, which is wonderful. But we could do a better job. Parents, don't leave it to the church. You are the prime disciples of your children. Uh, but we want to work with you. We're privileged as a church school and we can help in our church school, though some other schools won't be so helpful uh, in discipling them. I thank God that when I was a bolshy 10-year-old, uh, rebelling against the boring village church I went to. We had a Sunday school, two wonderful ladies, Janet and Tessa, put up with this Bolshe Vickers kid and did really good Sunday school in those days. A few years later, a young man called John helped. I went on a scripture union camp. There was a young man called Nick who cared for me and loved me and prayed for me and kept friendship with me and still does. He's now the Bishop of Plymouth. Um, but he's, uh, he was a young man then, a great... And, these people made a difference to me. God may well be calling you to serve in our children and young people. Some of you are at full stretch with your jobs and with the children you have at home. That's fine. These things go in seasons. We ask the Lord, what is he calling us to do? But we're all called to pray into this. 
Uh, we want them to grow as disciples of Jesus for their own sake, but also for the sake of our nation. Gosh, we need some Christian politicians. We have some, we need more. And in the media, the media shape how the nation views things. In the arts, in education, in health, in business, in sport. And we could use some decent church leaders for the future as well. We have a significant number of children in this church. Of course, there are bigger city churches, but there aren't so many families in the cities. They have lots of more students and uh, young adults. And the churches that are more our size, in towns our size, have fewer children. So God has blessed us, and this is a significant thing. And we mustn't take it for granted. And I've just been struck afresh uh, how much the Lord has blessed us and the challenge he's given us, <laughs> because there's lots of them. Uh, the second area of an open door that I want to uh, open up is that I think the mood is shifting in our nation and there is a new openness to Jesus. There's also a greater opposition to the church and I think the two things are coming together. Um, it's interesting, when high-profile folks become Christians, the media are making quite a lot of it. I don't know if you saw Kenya West's, it wasn't carpool karaoke with James Corden, it was airpool because they chartered an airplane. But that went viral, fascinating. So genuine Christian faith, you need to pray for folks who are in the public eye like that. But there's an openness and an interest when people take Jesus seriously. I was trying to work out how to put this and at Diocesan Synod yesterday morning, Bishop Christopher spoke into this and I found, so a lot of what I'm, how I'm going to put this was shaped by his thinking yesterday. He said, all around us, people are losing hope. Uh, for the international situation, there are some people who are paralyzed with fear about the climate situation. Now, it's right that we're concerned, but we're to trust the Lord. But there is real concern, depth of concern. Uh, there are right reasons for that. You only have to look at the more flooding in Venice or the fires in Sydney or California or the cyclones and the devastation. We know climate change is having an effect. There is a massive concern about the amount of wars that are going on. That some of the big nations are electing really hardline leaders who look like strong men on the outside because they're going to talk very forcefully. America, China, Russia, um, North Korea and so on. There is real international concern. And in our own nation, we see this polarization, this rarely debate anymore. It's just vitriolic, slagging each other off, that's fueled by social media. People li listen to people with their own opinions on social media, so that gets reinforced, and they demonize folks with a different opinion. And the divisions are growing. Politicians are facing death threats. We need to pray for our candidates standing as MPs. The police are having to give many of them advice about how to be careful. This is terrible in what was a nation shaped by Christian values, what is a nation that was shaped by Christian values, that so many of those values have gone and the godlessness in our uh, business and banks and politics leads to the values going as well. Added to that the need, the pressure on education or on the health service, the increased poverty, the knife crime, the homelessness, the mental health crisis that is around. Uh, people are hopeless, and we could be too if we look down. But we have good news. We worship Jesus who rose from the dead, who is the light of the world, who is the hope of the nations. 
and our world is crying out for hope. Now, the politicians are trying to outdo each other in how much money they'll throw at things, and we good to have some money invested where it's needed. I'm not against that. How much money will be available after Brexit? Who knows? We don't know. But we do know that money won't solve any issues of the heart. It cannot deal with purpose and spiritual need. And we have the good news of Jesus. We know there is forgiveness. We know there is hope. We know there is purpose. We know there can be reconciliation. We're part of Coventry Diocese, which when uh, Coventry was bombed 79 years ago, there in the cathedral chose to be a cathedral of reconciliation and hope and rebuilding. And we have good news and our world needs it. And I think people are more open the people you work with, the people you live next door to, the people you know, are more... We have an open door. People are struck on Remembrance Sunday that all around the nation there is remembrance with a prayer, with a hymn, with a reading of scripture. The nation is still very open to that. Uh, when we had this wonderful King's Chamber Orchestra concerts here on Friday night, lots of folks who aren't Christians come as guests uh, very happy to listen to the orchestra talking about their Christian faith as well, to come to our carol services. There is an open door that we must not miss. We can't guarantee it will always be open. There will be opposition, as there was to the early church, but I think pe pe we know people need Jesus, and people are open to the message. doesn't mean we won't be opposed, but there is an open door uh, for us. That means, we, in the way we do our small groups, our triplets, our prayer formations, we need to encourage each other to look up to the Lord and to look forward to the fact that he is coming again. We mustn't be bogged down, hopeless, as the world around can so easily be. If we're to offer Jesus and the good news of him to them, we've got to make sure we're carrying that hope clearly in us. So that's the vital need of our prayer partnerships, triplets, formations, small groups. Uh, uh, alongside that, there's a goodwill to the church in terms of all that's being done. Food banks, the debt centre, street pastors, the well, thrive, flourish, all sorts of good things being done. And people who see these are open. I even detect a shift in Richard Dawkins. I don't know if you've seen what he said. For years he's been saying, we don't need the church, Christianity is awful, it needs to be got away with, we all know what's the right way to live, can't we just get on with it? He started to realise that when the church goes and people let go of their faith in God, then Christian morality goes as well. And he was shaped in a nation of Christian values, which comes from Jesus. And the irony of trying to cut out Jesus, it's like cutting off the branch you're sitting on. So the book I referenced a few years ago, Tom Holland, the historian who's not a Christian, explaining how all those values we hold dear in this nation are shaped by Jesus. And even Dawkins is realising it, thinking we may need the church so we stay moral. Now, it's an interesting shift just beginning to come. So let's be confident. We have good news and we will have opportunities to share it. Uh, and people are crying out for hope and they need Jesus. We have an open door. So I talked about our emerging generation, talked about our adults. And increasingly, it's not that people have listened to Jesus and rejected. They've never really heard about him. So there is a wide open door. Let's come on to the key, because Jesus holds the key to this door. Verse 7 of our reading. 
The risen Jesus says, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. So Jesus opened the door for them in Philadelphia 2,000 years ago. He has an open door for us still in this nation. And we need to make the most of it. But we need to do it his way. I've been reflecting quite a lot over my sabbatical year that a lot of the way we do things is actually the way of the world. We have over my head, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We hold on to Jesus' truth, but we often try and do it the way of the world. We try and do Jesus' truth the way business would do it or the way schools would do it or the way the health service would do it. We need to do life the way Jesus does it. Uh, And if we can hold on to Jesus' truth and live it Jesus' way, we will experience more of his life. Now that means there's not just an open door, but we need to go through that and do it Jesus' way. How do we communicate the gospel for a new post-Christian era? How do we do that? How do we help each other live as Christians when lots of what we've said is now treated as bigotry you believe in marriage between a man and a woman for life and to celebrate that and for sexual abstinence outside that which is basic christian morality and been held for 2000 years we're now called bigots uh, that in the name of tolerance the intolerance of society is utterly extraordinary closing down debate how do we do this we need to do it jesus's way and that means we need to pray so as a senior team we felt next term We need to really make a term of prayer. We're going to do fewer courses that we usually do to make more space for seeking the Lord. How do we do this your way? We have a real sense about what God's calling us to do. We carry on doing our youth and children and students. We'll carry on worshipping. We'll carry on with food banks and all the interchurch ministries. But how do we shape our midweek life uh, such that we can really be more effective Uh, You've heard me talk a bit about missional communities. Uh, These are bigger groups. Small groups are really good for helping each other be disciples of Jesus. Not so good for actually doing mission together, uh, apart from in occasional ways. But I've had a growing sense for over a year now that we need to gather people in bigger groupings, perhaps monthly. Some churches call them mid-sized communities, some call them missional communities, Uh, where we can get to know, I don't know, 20, 30, 40, 50 people reasonably well. Still meet in small groups and prayer triplets in the other weeks. Uh, But groups that can actually make an impact missionally in an area. How do we do that? I don't yet know, and I sense the Lord saying, not yet. One or two people are saying to me, why aren't we doing it yet? (laughs) Because the Lord hasn't yet given permission. I stood here in 2006, it was, that would be 13 years ago, and publicly, we used to have a lectern here when we had pews. I remember standing there and repenting of going beyond God's call. When I didn't know what we should do, I used to just decide, well, this is what I think makes sense. Let's do that. We're not doing that anymore. We're waiting for the Lord's way forward. Uh, and if it's slower than we would like, so be it. There will be plenty of times when it's faster than we would like. Uh, we go at his pace. And next term, we're going to try and discern how do we do these missional communities? How do we do... Uh, evangelism how do we share our faith how how can we disciple each other better Uh, we've got lots of good ideas but we want to do it his way not just human good ideas way so uh, and we don't have to wait till next term to pray Uh, we have prayer opportunities coming up as adam said earlier Uh, so jesus holds the key 
Uh, that reminds me of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, uh, verses 16 to 20, where the risen Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, lots of nations come to us here now. You'd only, uh, some are called overseas, but we're to make disciples of people of all people groups, baptizing them, teaching them to obey. And surely I am with you always. Jesus holds the key. And I always feel a bit nervous when I share the good news of Jesus because it feels so weak. Yeah, they're hearing a man died 2,000 years ago and came back to life. Yes, right. It feels so weak, but it's true. And it's the power of God for salvation. And when we share it, God comes and partners with us. Feels as weak as David with his stones to a great big Goliath. And yet the Lord partners with it. He holds the key. He has all authority. And we are called to go at his pace and his way. Uh, Lastly, this pillar then. Let's come back to the pillar. Uh, Verse 12, the one who is victorious, or the one who overcomes, as it's written, or who overcometh, as it was written here a long time ago. I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I'll also write on them my new name. What is that about? Remember, this was written to a city where there were a lot of earth tremors. God putting a pillar there that is secure is a picture of stability and permanence and security. And these names, well, our name is about who we are. So the names are we belong to God and we belong to his people and we belong to Jesus. And Jesus says, if you go through this open door and dare to trust me, you will be absolutely secure My name is on you. Jesus' name is on you. You're part of my people. If you risk yourself for me in this life, for all eternity, you'll be utterly secure. We talk even now, don't we, about a pillar of the establishment or in Acts, the pillars of the church. He will make you solid. And my faith has grown as I step out of my comfort zone. Uh, When I feel scared, when I pray, when I feel nervous, when I'm hesitant and I dare to trust God, that's when my faith grows and and my roots go down. When I play it safe, then I start to feel more doubtful. This is a promise of God to you if you will step beyond the things that are against you. And there are things against us as they were in Philadelphia. They felt weak. Look at verse 8 of our letter. I know you have little strength. There are some of you today saying, I'm so weak, I've got not much energy. And Jesus knows that. It doesn't mean you can't serve him. There'll be a particular way. And the answer to that, St. Paul gave us, didn't this in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Uh, My grace, says God, is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. If you're feeling strong and you can do all this in your own strength, then that's probably what will happen. You'll do it in your own strength and not much good will come from it. It's the Lord working through us that does it. So if you're feeling weak, well, good, because God might work through us all the more. There's opposition they had to overcome. Verse 10, there's clearly a time of trial. I'll keep you from the hour of trial or I'll keep you in the hour of trial that's coming on the whole earth. We've often said, we've referenced it every week as we look through these letters. 
the pressure at the end of the first century to bow the knee to Caesar rather than Jesus was huge. And when Christians wouldn't, there was opposition. Now, we face opposition. But that's not to stop us. Sometimes there is, is right sometimes to be quiet. But we partnered with our brothers and sisters around the world through Open Doors. These Christians who genuinely are persecuted for their faith, they shame us. We've gone so quiet and we need to speak about Jesus. People are interested. Some will oppose. But Jesus is with us uh, and will help us. So we're to, let me just put up Hebrews 11 verse 1, this definition of faith. Uh, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is confidence in what we hope for. That's looking forward. And assurance about what we don't see, that's looking up. We look up to Jesus and we look ahead to where it's coming, not down at all the wind and the waves. So perhaps let's just put up the photo of the text as I come into land. Him that overcometh, her that overcometh, will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. Next week, I'll ask you to commit afresh to living with Jesus as Lord. Uh, there'll be an opportunity to fill in some bits of paper uh, to lay before the Lord saying, I will serve in this area or I'll keep serving. Some of you are trying to do too many things and the Lord will prune them down. Say, I want you to really concentrate on that. Don't be on 20 rotors. Really give yourself to an area of ministry and by all means help out a couple of others, but really commit to serving in an area. And for many of you, he's calling you to work with our younger generation. Uh, we'd love to really do a better job we do a good job be great to do a great job uh, for some in our adult ministry for some it's with our partners in the town for all of us in our workplaces and homes uh, this is our vision uh, from now on we have a long period of response i've just looked at the clock and i've preached long enough <laughs> so we have a long period of response uh, i could invite you to stand in a minute if the band would come back we're going to have a couple of minutes of quiet prayer we're going to sing a song. We're going to sing the song Oceans. God calls us to step beyond where we're comfort, but that's where we find him and our faith grows. Then we're going to share communion together uh, as God gives us himself uh, through bread and wine. We feed on Jesus and we become more like him and then we're sent out to serve him. So would you stand and let's pray together. Lord Jesus, this is your church. You are the Lord of lords and King of kings. We praise you for putting on the hearts of our uh, brothers and sisters down at St. Mary's to build this church 140, 150 years ago. And for that text they wrote, that him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. We want to be, Lord, those that overcome our weakness or the fear of opposition and dare to step through this door of opportunity to serve you and know your presence and know the strengthening of our faith. We long that you would raise up the next generation to be fearless for you, to lead in every area of our nation, to lead this nation back to you. We pray you'd give us eyes to see the opportunities to point people to Jesus. Uh, we even commit to you now our Christmas services and those you'll draw to hear the good news of Jesus come to this earth for our salvation. We praise you that we have a message of hope and light in the darkness. So send your spirit now and speak to us in the quiet. Come, Holy Spirit. Just be still.